0: to the Emmaus Fellowship teaching podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's word with us. He gave me a voice and a song taught me how to sing me I do have a couple thoughts for you this morning and uh and then um and then yeah we'll just see where the morning goes. I actually want to keep it pretty open-handed. I feel like when, you know, Melanie, you remember when I, before I went on sabbatical, you you shared this picture that you had of me handing, like, the shepherd's staff to Jesus. Is there a picture? I don't know who's doing the words. Is there a picture of the sheep up there on the mountain? Do you remember that picture? I saw it earlier. Um, And then you saw me, like, going. Tiffany and I going, or me, I don't know. You just saw us going up on this mountain. And then um, we were there, weren't we, Tiffany? We took that picture. We were up on a mountain, uh, the tallest mountain in Crete, it's disputed if it was the tallest. If it wasn't, it's like close. I jumped and I may have been higher than the other one. But uh but when we got up to the top of this mountain and you can see in the background it is desolate. There's there was no one there like Tiffany and I were like the only ones in that that region in fact. She was such an adventurous woman that she got into a jeep with me and a stranger and he drove us up this mountainside which is like a shelf road, you know, cliffs this way and there's no escape, and, um, and well, there is. There's actually, well, it's not really an escape. It's like, <laughs> it's plummeting to a grisly death. That's what that is, and so she got up early in the morning. The sun was just coming up, and we got up, and we got dropped off at this trailhead. It took us a couple hours to get to this trailhead, and then the guy turned around and left us. He says, I'll be back in, I don't know, I can't remember how many hours, but He's like, just follow the little marks on the rocks, those little yellow paint marks. And he left. And uh, when we got to the top, we were the only people up there the whole time that we were up on this mountain. And when we got to the top, all we saw were these sheep. And it was fun. And it was like, you know, she and I, we had planned to go from Crete over to Israel. And we were uh, literally, we were going to walk the Emmaus Road. But Israel started blowing up, and then you know Gaza started blowing up. And um, I don't know if you know this, but the road to Emmaus is actually in the West Bank. And so that would have been a trick for us to get across into that space. And so we decided, let's have a bonus week in Crete. And so we decided to go on our own Emmaus road, and this is where we ended up. Well, they weren't my sheep. I didn't care about those sheep. <laughs> I could care less. <laughs> all I all I thought was, what do they eat up here? <laughs> there's nothing to eat. There's no water. There's no. There's nothing. They don't eat rocks. Um, but anyway, um, and then we came back from sabbatical, and you guys know that this month has kind of been a, a transition back in, and I've appreciated Russ and Nick and the whole team for just helping us have a soft landing back in. And I keep getting asked, you know, like, are you back in the swing of things? And uh, Andy, you know the piano player. Andy, where are you at? Yeah, email. Hey, Andy. Yeah, we were having some truth talk earlier. You know, at the beginning of our time, and he's asking me like, you know, how you doing? And I was like, honestly, I'm. I don't think I'm back in the swing of things yet. I feel like, and that's a testament to the fact that we had such a great sabbatical. <laughs> you know, and it's also uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was, you know, when we when we left on sabbatical in July. Um, The first few weeks, we were experiencing waves of grief in some ways because we were missing you. And we also knew that Jesus had taken the shepherd's staff and in the context of a team of people, you guys were going somewhere that we weren't going to be a part of for those months. And we were missing that. And we thought, well, when we come back, it's probably going to be a different church. And so... We're discovering that it is, and that's a good thing. And so one of the questions I have is, um, <clears throat> am, I, am I so set in my ways that I want to bring the church back to where I am, or do I have enough flexibility and humility to, to transition into what the Lord is doing with you guys? And so what I see is actually Jesus didn't give me the staff back. His hands on it, my hands on it. There's a few hands on it. It's almost like that game. Um, and uh, and that being said, like that's the way it's supposed to be. Like he is the head and we are the body, and we get to be the body. And I have certain grace gifts and you have certain grace gifts. And I have a, uh, you know, God's got a compelling vision over my life and He's got a compelling vision over your life and your life and your life and your life. And if we can choose to join together in the context of relationship where love is the center of the bullseye, then guess what? We get to be the body of Christ in the uniqueness of who we are as an individual and who we are as a fellowship in this city and in this region. All right, before I move much further into the heart of this message here this morning, I'd like to facilitate a couple of micro... Spiritual practices for you and with you. Um, I went on a little micro adventure yesterday with my friend Aaron. We went up to Catamount and we broke trail in a foot of fresh snow. That was super fun. You know that you can do things in micro bursts, and it's actually very like refreshing and renewal, renewing to your soul. Like you don't have to plan a big epic. And so. I learned this I this is something I picked up recently from Blaine Eldridge's podcast Mount Vigil. They did this on their one of their podcasts. It was fun. You know how you know how like you have like micro prayers? You guys know these micro prayers. Usually the 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 most at risk I feel the shorter my prayers get. Like when I've seriously like there have been times Dave, you and I we've been on the precipice and I can remember our prayers getting like real short and sweet. Like Jesus, we're in your hands. Live to tell about it, too. It was great. Um, So, Or those micro prayers like, Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. So there's also these micro spiritual practices. Think of them like the little micro movements you made driving here. You made hundreds of adjustments in your trajectory to stay between the ditches. Or outside of the dish, right? So, um, so these micro disciplines or these micro spiritual practices that I'd like to introduce you to this morning are very much like that, and I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I don't think we have to wait for the big epic, the big fallout, the big crisis for us to like start doing these specific two which I'd like to introduce you to. And this is the micro practice, spiritual practice of forgiveness and repentance. And before we go into that, allow me to read a quote. Athanasius. Say that fast three times. When we went to Greece, we, we discovered we didn't know how to speak. Those people, they say things differently. Like they don't say oregano. They say oregano. And so anyway, I don't know how to speak Greek. All I know is that this man said this at about A.D. and he says this. You know what happens when a portrait that has been painted on a panel becomes obliterated through external stains? The artist does not throw away the panel, but the subject of the portrait has to come and sit for it again, and the likeness is redrawn on the same Material, the same panel. Even so, was it with the all holy Son of God? Think about this. In the wake of like the seismic shift in Western Christianity, where the deconstruction of faith is pretty much at an all time high, um, it would do us well to allow the subject of the portrait to come and sit and give our souls time to remember. Remember Hebrews 1:3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Or give our souls time to remember Colossians 1:15 through17. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, and by him all things are created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all, and in him all things hold together. I appreciated the worship this morning because it was very Christocentric, and it was really drawing us at the heart level into connection with Jesus as our source and giving us an opportunity to sit with him and allow our image of Christ to adjust Back, I believe so much of the original intent of God in Christ has been, to quote the quote, obliterated by external stains. And some of those external stains in the church are things like, can I say this like, moralism. And it's often enforced by double standards or maybe there's like this external stain of like vain religion that resembles a form of godliness but denies the power of Christ. And I'm only echoing Jesus's critique towards those who were actually staining the portrait by misinterpreting or misrepresenting the original intent of God and this cosmic story of redemption in his day. So listen to Jesus in Matthew 23 2 through 5 the scribes and the pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of moses in other words They have a responsibility to actually teach the torah That's what that means Therefore all that they tell you do and observe but do not do according to their deeds For they say things and do not do them in other words allow yourself to be discipled by the scripture and not by the example of the teachers. Oh, seat's getting hot. (laughs) It goes on to say this in verse four. It says, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. And they do all their deeds to be noticed by men. It goes on and on. I mean, blistering. So, those I've spoken with who are deconstructing their faith and who are untethering themselves from misrepresentations of Christ, they share the same critiques that Jesus did so often. And my encouragement to them and to each one of us is do not throw away the panel, it's a masterpiece. but rather allow ourselves to sit with Jesus and to behold him in the Gospels and to allow Holy Spirit to reveal his beauty, his humility, the generosity of his love. And so, friends, let's move into this micro-spiritual practice of forgiveness and repentance as it pertains to what I've just shared We can forgive those who have misrepresented the great story of God. We can forgive those who have layered on to Jesus their many interpretations of what it means to be a Christian. So let's do that now. So God, we choose to forgive those who have misrepresented you by their actions and their words. We release them to you. Let's just pause if someone comes to mind. Let's get real with it. Release them to Jesus and offer forgiveness. Release them from any form. Lord, we release them from any form of like this restitution that we feel they need to pay us back in any way or make amends. We pray that you would bless them with a renewed understanding of your grace and your love for them. Amen. That wasn't that hard, was it? Little micro adjustments. We can do this on the daily, like throughout the day. A hundred times we can make these sort of adjustments in our hearts. And then um, now we can actually repent. And we can turn from maybe there's a couple ends of the spectrum <laughs> on the same spectrum. Maybe on one end there's like our cynicism and our general distrust of those who call themselves Christian leaders. Uh, on the other hand, way over here on this end of the spectrum, maybe there's some actual worship of the leader. And we need to repent of that, too. So it could be anything in between. We just, we just want to be discipled by the Scripture in the tutelage of the Holy Spirit, in the context of a community, who has eyes on the scripture and the ways of God and who will mirror to us not only the story of God and the redemption of God, but even mirror to us ourselves as God sees us. That's the power of community. We don't know how to take compliments. We think they're, I mean, I don't know why we distrust people who say something positive about us. I don't know, maybe that's you. Maybe you don't have a problem with that. The world, the enemy of our souls, is on a relentless pursuit to convince us through accusations of who we're not. And the Holy Spirit not only leads us into truth in the scripture, but he leads us into truth of our identity in Christ. And if we have friends around us who can see us in ways that we can't see ourselves, and they speak those truth words to us, and we reject those or block them out in some way, we need to repent of that. Anyway, I'm getting, I'm going to stand up. (laughs) I just think it's really important for the healing of our souls and for us to move into the authenticity of who we are as God's children. To remember who we are as God's children (laughs) and let people speak those truths to us. Because we all have blind sides. I don't know how I got off on that. But anyway, let's repent of cynicism, of general distrust and leadership and choose, you know, some other things. So let's pray. Father, I repent of my cynicism. I repent of um yeah, I don't know who's hearing this, but you know, if if you're in a space where you are discarding the panel, the masterpiece, I just wanna invite you to pick it back up and take the effort needed to allow restoration to happen to that. So, Jesus, we thank you for helping us repent of that. And then we also want to repent of any, like, leadership worship, any people that we hold up in. It's different than honor. It's different than respect. It's like, you know what I'm saying. It's an unhealthy connection and a dependence on people over you. That's really what it is. So, Jesus, we repent of that. And we thank you for discipling us through your word and leading us into truth. Give us eyes to see the man Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, I feel like we can go home now. That was an intro. (laughs) Wow. I do want to remind us of something I shared a couple weeks ago, and I will stand up for this. Not necessarily because I'm getting too excited but just want to do you guys remember the message a couple weeks ago about the wells you guys remember talking about wells and how abimelech ordered isaac to leave the country because of the prosperity that isaac was experiencing due to a well that he had inherited from his father abraham and the philistines had filled the well up and isaac um had his Servants, like, remove the dirt out of that and restore the well. And as a result, he was, like, experiencing a hundred times, you know, reaping the reward of, you know, just the prosperity of that the well brought to him. And so he actually did move, and he settled in the valley um, of Gerar. And in that valley, he dug a couple of wells. And the first well he dug these other folks came and they had a fight and so over the well, and so he called that well argument. And then he went over and he dug another well, and then there was another fight, and he called that well hostility. And then he went to a third place, and he dug that well, and there was no dispute. And so in that place, he named the well Open Space. And he said that at last the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in this land. And we looked at the metaphor of what a wellspring looks like, what it means for us spiritually. And we listened to Jesus in John 7 where it says, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scriptures say, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But by this he was referring to the Holy Spirit, to those who would believe in him, They would receive the Holy Spirit. So that spiritual flow and that spiritual well that we can draw from in Christ, that that's the flow that comes out of us as believers, right? And so we recognize that our source informs our flow. Our source informs our flow. And so that's why Proverbs 4.23 is so important, to watch over our hearts with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. And so we had to ask a couple questions. And the big question was, what wells do you want to draw from? If we looked at the story of Isaac in in Genesis 26, we could ask ourselves, do we prefer to draw from the wells of hostility and arguments? Remember that Jesus had rebuked his disciples who asked Jesus if he wanted them to call down fire and destroy the Samaritans. Remember that story in Luke? And then in, and Jesus rebuked them sharply saying, you don't realize what spews from your heart when you say that. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy life, but to bring life to the earth. For years, their source was the well of hostility. And it was so normal to them, they didn't even see it. And Jesus had to mirror to them what was happening, and then he had to call them into something that was bigger and better than that. And so, um, so yeah, that question then is, uh, do we want to draw from those wells, or do we want to draw from the well that, uh, that Jesus is offering us? I guess we could call that open space. And so, of course, I want to call us to abandon the wells of argument and hostility and come into that space and draw from the well that Jesus is offering. This is what I'd like to do to kind of like, I'm actually going to read the story of Jesus at the well, meeting the woman. And and in this, I actually want you to allow the Holy Spirit to paint a portrait of Jesus for you. Again, we're asking Jesus to come and sit and let our souls be reminded of who Jesus really is. And in light of that encouragement to draw from the well that he is offering, it would behoove us to actually see him and to receive from him in his most pure and um, you know, unstained way. So what that means is some of us are going to have to hear this story again for the first time. And maybe it's a story you've heard a hundred times. But at the end of me reading this, I'm actually going to ask you to describe what you're hearing. To describe aspects of who Jesus is based on this story. Okay? So I want you to listen with that in mind. Okay? And um, I think it will help us. Um, So let's just go ahead, and if you'd like to just kind of sit back and listen and close your eyes, it's fine. I'll try to move through this at a pace that, um, that, that works for us. And this is in John 4, and I'll start with verse 5. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field of Jacob, that he had given to his son Joseph. And wearied from his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well. And he sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And she replied, why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus replied, if you only knew who I am and the gift that God wants to give to you, you'd ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is very deep. So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well and drank from it himself, along with his children and livestock. And Jesus answered, If you drink from Jacob's well, you'll be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the living water that I give to them, they will never be thirsty again. And when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, flooding you with endless life. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and won't have to come back here to draw water. And Jesus said, go get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. That's true, Jesus said. For you have been married five times, and now you're living with a man who is not your husband. You have told the truth. The woman changed the subject. You must be a prophet. So tell me this. Why do our fathers worship God on this nearby mountain? But your people tell, teach that Jerusalem is the place where you must worship. Who is right? And Jesus responded, believe me, dear woman. The time has come when you will worship the father neither On a mountain, nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship, but we Jews worship out of our experience, for it's from the Jews that salvation is available. From now on, worshiping the Father will not be a matter of the right place, but with the right heart. For God is a spirit And he longs to have sincere worshipers who adore him in the realm of the spirit and truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I do know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah. And when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one you are looking for. So Jesus, even as we pause in hearing this story, I want to just thank you. Thank you for all the ways that you are painting a picture for us in this that gives us a glimpse of your heart. And so, Holy Spirit, as you have been already doing, would you just help us remember and capture the essence and the original intent. Pray this in your name Christ. Amen. So what portrait of Jesus did you see? Anyone want to say? One who satisfies. Giver. Yeah, you know, he he went to the heart level. He 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 just went right into the heart level and she it literally said she changed the subject. She got all theological on him. There it is. I mean, our conditioning sometimes is to avoid the heart, and we plaster religion on it, and our theology, and our arguments, and our whatever-whatevers around God, and we think that that's noble in some way. It's like God is so... I mean, what I love about it is he didn't dismiss that. He went ahead and answered it. And that answer actually informs us about the kind of worship that God is making contact with in humanity. Like the worship that God makes contact with is a worship of honesty. The worship in spirit and truth, I don't interpret that as like, you know, we're just like, we're getting real charismatic. And all of the songs that we sing line up exactly with the way the Bible talks I think, I mean, there is some really profound need for that, right? I mean, we want our worship to reflect the truth of Scripture, but the truth that Jesus is talking about is the kind of truth that he validated when he says, woman, you speak the truth. You're speaking the truth. And the truth was, she was jacked up. And he honored that in some ways. And one of the ways he honored that was he, he said, you know, You've been with five husbands now you're living with a man but I'm coming to you I'm here I I did some uh, little research some scholars kind of take that you know some people really go down the rabbit hole of symbolism but if you think about the five senses and then you think about number 6 which is the day that God created man She had relied on every single, like, she had tried to find it, the answers, in every one of her physical senses. And in the hope of a man or mankind, you could actually make this a broader sort of, like, connection to us individually. Like, where are we trying to find the answers, Is it through the senses? Is it through humanity? Is it through the systems of man? I mean, this can get big all of a sudden. And then Jesus can remind us, even the prayer of, uh, you know, I think it's really important for us to remember the prayer of Paul when he says, Look, I'm actually praying for you because you are the bride. And Jesus is your bridegroom. So he brings in this bridal paradigm. I don't know. We don't need to go too far down that road. I just think that would be a really fun and uh, interesting study on how, like, Jesus not only answers us as the well, you know, as the source of living water. But in that, it actually starts to meet us in the most real places of our life like in the places of relationship, in the places of getting our deep longings met, in the place of, you know, fill in the blank, that we are looking in all these different places to try to find the answer and the fulfillment of that. And Jesus is saying, I am here to, to, to form union with you, and I am here to bring fulfillment to your life. What I love about this story is he didn't just... Um, and I love what you're saying, Terry. He didn't just go to the most humble place. I mean, if she had been a leper, that would be even one step lower. But I'm just saying, like in that in that strata, social economic social strata, he went to the place that would have been considered the lowest. And I don't mean that in any derogatory way, but culturally, that was true. In fact, when you read on, when the disciples came, they were astonished that he was speaking to this woman. And what did he do with this low place and this contact with someone in the low place? She's the first person that he revealed that he was the Messiah to. And he convinced her through the love interaction that he had with her in those moments to basically evangelize her entire city. And he didn't have to even give her, like, an ordination for that. All right, I think, I think that's where I wanted to go today. I, I, I think one of the things I want to do to kind of close this out is talk about some practical ways that we can sit at the edge of the well and draw from it on a daily basis. When I think about a well, I think about depth. And I also think about the fact that, like she said in the story, that's a deep well. Which um, brings you into the place of some mystery. And I don't think darkness is evil when it is relating to mystery. There are some things about God that are mysterious. Parables can be referred to as dark sayings. If you take the literal translation of the word parable, it means dark saints, which means mysterious saints. There are things that God wants to like help us draw out into our lives that might be mysteries to you. There are things about God's well that um, and the well that you have access to um, that will not only be a source of strength for you and a source of... Um, you know, that sustaining rest and all these other things that God is wanting to. But he is going to start to really answer those deep longings that we referred to. Um, So what do I do? Uh, Well, the thing that Tiffany and I connected with on sabbatical, more than most things, was the spiritual practice of centering prayer. And I won't go too far down this road, but I will offer this thought to you that if you choose to do this, you can actually set time aside and it's in addition to all the other things that you might be doing. You, you you may really love meditating on the scripture. Great, partner that in with centering prayer. Take some time to read the scripture and then meditate on that as you move into a time of just sitting in the presence of the Lord. I think one of the misnomers about centering prayer for me had been that I was trying to, like, center in on Jesus. And so it became kind of like this exercise where unless I saw Jesus or unless I was hearing from Jesus, I thought I was doing it wrong. It's actually kind of like the opposite. It's actually the less you think, the better you're doing it. Can you get your head around this? I'm talking to a bunch of people who have been informed by the rational mindset of you know, like our worldview in America, where you know knowledge is power and whatever. I actually struggled with this for the longest time when I was being introduced to centering prayer because I have a very active mind. And the first time that our friend Barb sat with me for 20 minutes and says. This is all you need to do is pray, Jesus, I give you consent to bring your presence and your activity to my heart and to my mind. And I choose to rest in your love and your wisdom. And what she had coached me to do prior to that, and I know, Val, you had brought this to our fellowship some time ago. And this is something that you and I have talked about how powerful this has been. For you and for so many others, you can ask the Lord to give you a simple word. As you move into centering prayer for me, and I'll just go ahead and share what the word is for me, the word has been the word mercy. And what I've discovered about the word mercy is it's very much like what you described in the 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 mothering grace of God. The word mercy actually can be translated mothering. And so what my soul has needed, what my heart has needed, is that depth of nurturing. I didn't even realize that when the Holy Spirit brought the word mercy to me. It was just afterwards that I was like doing a deeper dive into that word. So what the word does for me is when I sit to just be with the Lord and I give him consent to bring his presence and his activity to my heart and to my mind, and I choose to rest in his love and his wisdom. I try to let all of my thoughts just settle. The the point is this. So much of the spiritual discipline and spiritual practices that I've been engaged with for many, many years have relied in some way on sort of a a response or an interactive sort of dynamic where i kind of get these positive feedback loops of like ooh i'm feeling the goosebumps i must be doing something right oh i'm getting this powerful vision and i get these sort of like consolations from the holy spirit like this is really working if you this is real faith when you start to dial all of that down and you say i don't actually want that to be part of my experience right now in these 20 minutes then, what I am doing is I am putting more faith in the presence and the activity of the Lord than, my, than I am in my consolations. I'm putting more faith in the Lord to bring transformation to me with me kind of out of the way. I'm just sitting there in a space of consent, like I give you permission. Um, you know, writers like Thomas Merton would would refer to this as a pure faith because it's a faith that is not contingent on the feedback. It's not contingent on the answered prayer. It's not contingent on the vision. It's not contingent even on, like, um, me having some sort of, like, visceral sort of experience, which could be tied to one of those five senses, So the word comes into play whenever a thought captures my attention, a thought that is not me just simply being with the Lord. There will be thoughts. There'll be noises outside the window. The phone might ring if I forgot to put it away. There'll be distractions and thoughts and even thoughts within myself. I'll start to all of a sudden think about certain things. So the difference is this. Just let the thoughts be like summer clouds that just pass by. But if your attention gets drawn to a thought and you start and you find yourself really like focusing on a thought. Take the word that the Lord has given you. And just gently lay it on the thought. Mercy. I'm amazed. That this actually works. What the word mercy means for me is echoing everything that I prayed at the very beginning. Mercy means I consent to your presence and your activity in my heart and my mind. And I choose to rest in your love and your wisdom. I don't have to say all that. I just say mercy. There are times when I sit in centering prayer or can I just rephrase that? When I sit at the well And draw from Jesus. Where I have to say mercy 200 times. And then there are times when I'm sitting at the well. And it's like the timer goes off like that. 20 minutes just happened? What? I can tell you this. This is kind of a fun story. And then I'll close it out. Um, The first time I tried this with Barb... It was hectic. Oh, gosh, my brain. I was just like, Barb, I don't think I can do this. At the end, she's like, oh, you totally got this. You know, she's a sweet little lady. And I was like, but I was thinking all these thoughts and blah, 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 blah. And then the next day, I decided um, I was going to hike out to this little cabin that they had on their property at this retreat center in Utah. And I was going to spend 20 minutes of that several hour period trying it again and it was one of those times where I felt I think the word that came to me was I felt immersed in the presence of God in a way that I don't recall ever experiencing before I felt quieted in a way I don't recall ever experiencing before I felt relief and rested in the presence of the Lord. I felt like Barb had just led me to the edge of a well and I was able to draw from it in a way that did not require me to do a whole lot other than choose to say yes and receive. So that would be something friends that I could offer to us in in light of this encouragement here to allow ourselves to draw from the well that will inform our flow, right? And let that transform even our portrait of who Jesus is, which will translate to who we think God is since he is the direct portrait, okay? So with that, I'm just going to lead us into a prayer. I'm just going to invite you to just take a couple just easy breaths and close your eyes. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you are all about meeting with us in the secret place. And Lord, I just want to ask you to give grace to each one who's hearing this, who has a yes in their heart for a simplified way of trusting the power of your transformation. And I thank you, God, that you are... In a lot of ways for me, and I know for many of my friends here, you are liberating us from a striving in hopes of results. And you're giving us the grace to more purely trust in your love. And so, Lord, I want to pray a blessing In the name of Jesus, I bless each one of you that any time you set time aside this week, and it doesn't have to be the 20 minutes, but that seems to be working for me, and I just want to offer that as a thought. But whatever time you decide to set apart and consent to the presence and the activity of Jesus, in your heart and in your minds and to rest in his love and his wisdom that you would experience the refreshment of drawing from the well of Jesus. And so I bless you with that in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.